Welcome to the Fit CEO Podcast. Podcast. Yes! What is up, guys? Jay Cliz, JC, Mr. Fit CEO himself. I'm back. I'm so excited to be back. Welcome back to episode number two of the Fit CEO Podcast. So, guys, I am on cloud nine right now. The first episode was an amazing success. The support, the love, everything has been incredible. I want to thank you guys so much. I have so much gratitude for everyone that has listened so far to the first episode. And if you have not listened to the first episode, please go and download it check it out and leave a five-star review and please subscribe. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. And um, something that's really interesting about the first episode is um, I launched it on Friday the 13th. So just to give you guys a little uh, info behind that, I actually absolutely love October. October is my favorite month of the year and just the the fact that Friday the 13th was coming up um I love horror films I love stuff like that I just I don't know it just seemed like it fit me really well I thought it was perfect and you know I've been planning to launch Fit CEO podcast for months and months and months like over a year I actually had the Fit CEO brand the idea everything for a few years and um I originally wasn't going to make it I originally wasn't going to have that actually be the podcast name. Um, it was just like a brand, an idea. It was just something I was, it was like a nickname, friends, and people just called me, what up, Fit CEO? It was just like a, a random thing. And then um, when I realized I really wanted to to get very serious about my podcast, I figured that was the perfect name. And then just realizing that Friday the 13th was coming up and just launching it. Because I almost launched it on my birthday. I almost was going to do episode one and record on my birthday. And I decided to wait until my favorite month of the year, of the year, October. And then Friday the 13th was coming up and it just all worked out perfectly. So, so happy, so excited about that. And um, on today's episode, we're going to touch on three really awesome topics I know you guys are going to love. Um, first topic is we're going to talk about tennis elbow. Um, and then we're going to talk about some stretching myths and just some more stretching stuff. I know in episode one, we talked about self-myofascial release, foam rolling. Um, so we're not going to talk about that as much on this episode. We're going to talk about more of static stretching, dynamic stretching, so and just a few other things. Um, and then lastly, we're going to wrap the show up with uh, talking about sitting and just how bad sitting really is. Um, but before I dive into that, just for the sake of Friday the 13th, since it's kind of in the conversation right now and I launched the first episode on Friday the 13th, um, I, I had some fun, some fun info I wanted to share with you guys about that. Um, Friday the 13th is a weird thing because everyone always assumes it's a bad day. It's bad luck. You're going to get bad luck. And I honestly have never experienced that. Every year of my life, I've loved Friday the 13th. I, I get better luck on Friday the 13th, man. And I don't know why people think that way. So when you're thinking of bad luck and 
all that kind of stuff. Guys, throw that out the door, man. Don't let that distract you. Don't let that hold you back from moving forward and getting things done. Um, but there is some reasons, and I guess in history though, of why there's that bad taste in people's mouths on why they don't like Friday the 13th. And, you know, just, I'm kind of a history buff. I, as you guys know, I read a lot. I try to read in, you know, a couple new books every week and, and I have a lot of history books as well. And, um, you know, if you go back actually in biblical tradition, you know, there was 13 guests that attended the last supper. And of course, one was Jesus Christ and his 12 apostles. And I was on Thursday and the next day, Friday was his crucifixion. Um, and I guess you could say it's a bad omen that there was 13 guests at the table, um, for the courting of Jesus's death. So I guess that kind of has some negative energy tied to it. Uh, another thing negative about 13, um, is it's been highlighted in pop culture. I mean, just like how in pop culture, you know, there's Valentine's day and all these holidays and things they make up where, you know, they kind of run with it, you know? So for example, they came out with Friday the 13th, the movie, right? And that all of a sudden, Friday the 13th, this became this horror film, became this horrible day. And people go watch Friday the 13th or whatever on Netflix for the night. Um, another thing is there was actually a book that was published way back in the day um, by an author named Thomas William Lawson. And he actually wrote a book called Friday the 13th. And what the what the story was about, the book was a story about a New York City stockbroker. And he he plays on superstitions about Friday the 13th to create a lot of chaos on Wall Street. And what happened is, you know, just trying to create a lot of um, neurosis, get people neurotic and so he can make a killing on the market. So that's an interesting book. And that's about Friday the 13th. So maybe those are some reasons why in history that you know, there's pop culture and just a few other, um, not metaphysical, but, uh, superstitions that people have about it, I guess. Um, there has been some bad things that have happened on Friday the 13th in history too, actually though, which is kind of odd. Um, I'm not going to go through all of the bad things that have happened on Friday the 13th, but, but one interesting story is on Friday the 13th in 1307, um, officers of King Philip of France, they actually arrested hundreds of Knights Templar. Um, the Knights Templar, they were like a powerful religious and military order formed in the 12th century to, um, for the defense of the Holy Land. And apparently they were charging them for illegal behaviors. But in reality, he just wanted access to their financial resources and even made the, um, and even many Templars, uh, later many Templars were executed. So that's some negative stuff about Friday the 13th, I guess. But a cool thing about Friday the 13th or just the number 13, um, that's not negative. That's not about the crucifixion of Jesus. That's not about a bunch of Knights Templar, um, being arrested and not about horror films and superstitions, but a cool thing about the number 13 is in the late 19th century there was actually an exclusive secret society um, which was created by a, a new yorker his name was william fowler and they were they were called club 13 it's pretty dope and uh they dined in regularly on the 13th day of the month in room 
number 13 of the Knickerbocker Cottage, which was a popular watering hole that William Fowler actually owned. And what's really fascinating about what they would do before their meal is they would all actually pass under a ladder before eating a 13-course meal. And they would read a banner before seating that actually said, those of us who are about to die salute you. And in fact, in Club 13, there was even four U.S. presidents that were in it. So that's pretty interesting. So as you can see, some... Um, some hardcore elitists really embrace the number 13. So who knows, man? I, I don't know. Um, I'd have to look deeper into the history of it. You know, there's a lot of negative and a lot of good. Just as I have Club 13 on my mind, I don't know if you guys know, there's actually a secret club in Disneyland, too. Um, so look that up. I, I'll have to dive into that in a, another episode. But there is a secret club in in Disneyland, like Johnny Depp and a bunch of other people, they go and they eat at this restaurant, this hidden club in Disneyland. I think it's like $10,000 a year. It's called Club 32, Club 32 or Club 33 um, in Disneyland. I know that's way off topic from number 13, but I just thought of that. It's kind of cool. So let's segue here into our fitness topics today. And we're going to start with tennis elbow. And I think tennis elbow is a good topic to touch on because a lot of you guys have probably experienced it and or maybe you have some elbow pain and you don't even realize that you might have some minor tennis elbow or you have tennis elbow or maybe you're like oh yeah for a few months I really was jacked up in my arm and or you know my elbow and you had tennis elbow or you probably have known someone that has tennis elbow at one point I had tennis elbow pretty bad actually in my left elbow and I actually had to get cortisone shots um, like once a month. And obviously, I don't have tennis elbow anymore and I don't get those shots. But it, it was pretty serious. And just just me being such a hardcore weightlifter and couldn't even really function, you know, um, I would get that. And within a few months, my elbow was better. And you kind of work it out. Typically, like within nine to twelve months, tennis elbow can go away as long as you can alleviate it with some pressure. So, but let let's go back in the timeline of tennis elbow and how it came about and kind of what we can do to prevent it. So, the cre uh, the, you know, there was the creation of modern tennis, and that was in eighteen seventy three, and people started feeling pain in their uh, racket arms. And in fact, the first documented med uh, medical reference to the condition tennis elbow was in 1883. And just at the time, they recommended utilizing compression therapy. And even till this day, people are still just utilizing compression therapy, uh, compression wraps to alleviate the pain. What's really funny about tennis elbow, but only 5% of individuals that actually play tennis suffer from tennis elbow. Uh, a lot of the tennis elbow injuries are coming from hammering, physical labor jobs, and just a lot of other um, lifestyle individuals doing labor jobs. That's typically uh, the case for people that are experiencing tennis elbow. When we actually dive into the research and into the etiology of tennis elbow, it's shown that it's from overuse injury that results in micro tears of the hyaline region in the extensor muscles that attach on the lateral side of the forearm. And it's even possible that the pain can actually be localized on the medial side of the elbow as well. 
Um, and usually it's often diagnosed incorrectly. Actually, people will go in, they'll see their doctor and, and they'll term it as tendonitis, um, which is typically incorrect because elbow specialists, they usually note that tendonitis implies inflammation on the affected region which doesn't make sense for tennis elbow because the most common form of tennis elbow is actually called lateral epicondyle tendinosis. And it's a painful condition that um, rarely presents any inflammation actually. So it's completely opposite um, of tendonitis, which does have inflammation. So with lateral epicondyle tendinosis, it rarely presents, presents any inflammation. And tennis elbows usually get mixed, misdiagnosed as well because there's at least 40 different pathologies of the elbow joint that have been documented. So because of the pathology of the injury and it's typically seen at a microscopic level, it's relatively easy to misclassify tennis elbow and in the intact human arm as bursitis or arthritis or one of the other many ailments. And typically your doctor, your physical therapist, you know, they rely uh, a lot on knowing what your lifestyle is, what you do. So obviously if you work construction or you have a really serious labor job or you're a hardcore weightlifter, always doing curls and bench and all that, I mean, they're going to put the two and two together and they're going to assume, okay, you got a little bit of tennis elbow you're experiencing. Um, and a good question you can ask yourself is, how can I help this? You know, if you are experiencing a little bit of that tennis elbow pain, what, what can we do to help? You know, what are some typical treatments and prognosis of tennis elbow? Well, there's two approaches. You know, there's the conservative conservative approach and a non-conservative conservative approach. Wow, what am I doing? Um, you know, the conservative, conservative uh, treatments, you know, would be including ice, some anti-inflammatory medications such as ibuprofen just kind of alleviate the pain a little bit and, and relax that there and some physical therapy and potentially some cortisone shots, which I got at one point in my elbow. Um, you know, one of the best solutions for lateral epicondyle tendinosis is just simply resting it, obviously. Don't overwork it. Um, could always get an elbow strap. You could always get a brace. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Typically within 9 to 12 months, it disappears. 90% um, of tennis players report loss of tennis elbow symptoms after the age of 50, um, which doesn't help, obviously, if you're 25 and you're lifting every day. But you know what I'm saying? It's not a long-term thing. It can, it can alleviate over time. 85% um, of people actually return to pre-injury uh, pre-injuring levels um with tennis elbows so some other prevention tips is you can start with using just proper biomechanics uh making sure that you, you know you're using the suitable suitable equipment for whom you are and what you do um consider neutral wrist position uh maintain your activity with uh, the weightlifting you're doing or if you actually do play tennis um being very aware of that um your form your technique also, if you do play tennis, uh, two-handed backhand strokes can always reduce the pain in a strategy and form. Um, and, of course, just warming up. I just thought it was a good topic to touch on because it is pretty common. Um, but then again, it's something that can really be alleviated and taken care of. If, if as long as you're recovering well, using some pressure, maybe some ice, um, and to stay patient with it. Um diving into flexibility training so on episode one we talked a lot about self-malfascial release smr foam rolling 
right? Well, there's a, there's a lot of different forms of stretching. You know, there's about five different forms of stretching we do. And we, we can go through all those right now. But first, let's start with SMR. I know we already touched on in the first episode, but just for those who are tuning in for the first time, guys, SMR stands for self-myofascial release. It is foam rolling, can be utilized before or after exercise. You typically apply pressure for a minimum of 30 seconds to tender spots. Um, What it does is it creates autogenic inhibition, decreases muscle spindle excitation, and releases a lot of tension. So that's some frog rolling, guys. I know all the people that have listened to episode one already are like, okay, we get it. Move on to the next form of stretching. So um, another uh, obviously very, very common form of stretching is static stretching, um, which is typically used to correct existing muscle imbalances and lengthen overactive and tight muscles. Um, It could be used before or after exercise, and it involves taking muscle to the point of tension and holding it for about 30 seconds for one to three sets obviously if you're going to be playing basketball football or doing some explosive explosive jumping or sprinting you probably will you'll want to keep that under 18 15 seconds um then there's active isolated stretching and what that does is it increases your motor neuron excitability and it creates reciprocal inhibition of the muscle being stretched by using the agonists and synergists to dynamically move the joint into range of motion to increase extensibility of your soft tissues. Uh, this type of stretching would be utilized for pre-activity warm-up. And if muscle imbalances do exist in the athlete or client, this would be done typically after foam rolling and static stretching. And with active isolated stretching, you typically do about five to 10 reps and you hold it for about one to two seconds each for about one to two sets. And this is one of my favorite forms of stretching before I play a basketball game, before I sprint, I typically like to foam roll, get a little warm, and then do some active isolated stretching. Last, or not lastly, but one of the other uh, last stretching techniques is dynamic stretching. It's also known as functional stretching. Um, Typically, this would be used for a client that has good control over motion, core stability, and balance. Usually more advanced individuals or clients or athletes are doing dynamic stretching. You do about three to 10 exercises, one to two sets of 10 to 15 reps. Um, Some exercises would be utilizing a medicine ball, lift and chop. You could do some tube walking side to side and uh um, you know, a multi-planar lunge and many other exercises. So dynamic stretching is, it, it's, it's like getting warm, you know, you you are stretching the muscles out, getting loose, but obviously there's a lot of dynamic uh, movements you're doing. Um, and typically a, a novice client or a beginner weightlifter usually d- isn't doing a lot of dynamic movements, um, for their stretching warmups. Lastly, we have neuromuscular stretching, again, which is one of my favorite techniques. It's also known as proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, PNF. Uh, It's typically used by uh, professionals that are trained in this technique, like, for example, CES specialists, like myself, corrective exercise specialists, or you'll see a lot of DPTs, 
doctor of physical therapists doing this, doctor of physical therapy. And what they do is they help assist moving the client's body part through range of motion until the first resistance barrier of the muscles and joint. And the client then pushes against the trainer with a 25% maximal contraction for about 7 to 15 seconds. Um, what the trainer does is he then moves the body part into a wider range of motion and holds it for about another 20 to 30 seconds. So there's a cool overview guys, um, just on a lot of different varieties of stretching and it's extremely important to incorporate all of these into your exercises daily. Um, do consider that different forms or styles of stretching though is utilized best depending on the athlete or whom the person is so for example we can go back to static stretching which is like the most common right bend over touch your toes hold it get up bend over touch your toes hold it and you're up you know that's like the pe the elementary the middle school everyone knows static stretching everyone does it but you need to know what stretching is right and works best or makes most sense for you or the client. So for example, static stretching for over 30 seconds before athletic performance like basketball, football, jumping, sprinting, etc. That it's actually been documented that there may be some adverse effects with that. There was actually a survey um, with strength and conditioning coaches for pro teams. And when they have their athletes static stretch, they actually typically had them uh, hold that for about 12 to 18 seconds as opposed to that 30 to 60 seconds what are some of these adverse effects you know like what's what's some of the issues and in sports medicine literature there's actually been about 20 studies that showed some static stretching immediately before activity decre decreased performance on maximum voluntary contraction power jump height jump force and jump velocity um like I said earlier, typically what we find is best for the athlete um, would be some dynamic stretching and some SMR. That would be most optimal before, um, you know, basketball, sprinting, performance, box jumps, etc. Um, they do find that static stretching is beneficial in some cases to prevent injury, but perhaps not optimal before, you know, a dynamic sport. So I'm not saying if you're an athlete or a high performer to never static stretch but maybe do it post-workout or do it earlier in that day, but not right before a performance. So yeah, you'll really want to consider your client's goal or yourself as an athlete when you, when you want to dive into uh, what stretching makes most sense. And lastly, we want to cover on topics on sitting. Um, sitting is a nightmare. I mean, just someone like me, dude, I can't even sit for over an hour. I have to walk around the building, walk around my office. Um, I can, you know, like in the gym, sometimes I just do a quick lap around the gym a couple of times. Lap as in not running around the gym. I mean, just walking around, honestly, um, scrolling through my podcast feed or scrolling through my iTunes, trying to find a new song, kind of clear my mind in between sets. Um, I have to always stay moving, man. And sitting is just not good. I actually highly recommend to get a stand-up desk if possible, man. I actually saw this dope stand-up desk. I think it was like a picture on Instagram one time where someone had a stand-up desk and then under the desk they had like a rack with like dumbbells and a barbell and stuff. It was kind of sick. So sitting is, it can be horrible, man. And what's crazy is so many people 
sit way more than stand every day of their life. And it's just insane how bad that finally catches up. I mean, think about it. One, they're sleeping throughout the night. They're not there. So they're not moving around. Then they get up, right? And then they get ready. They go to work and then boom, they're sitting all day. And there's a lot of you know, whack ass companies out there, man, that don't just let people sit on bozu balls, at least uh, help with their posture back or let them stand with a sitting de- or a standing desk. And that to me just doesn't make any sense. I mean, just corporate wellness and a culture and environment of a business and um, being able to let your individuals, you know, stand freely and they will perform better. They will work better. Um, so stand up desk, I'm a really big supporter of to go back to stand up desk. What's really cool is there's a physical therapist. He's actually very, very known in the fitness industry. His name is Kelly Starrett. He's actually the author of the book supple leopard. Um, he actually him, him and his wife, uh, I think her name's Juliet, him and his wife, Juliet, they pushed to get their, their child's school to um, approve, approve their all their classes to be stand-up classes. I don't remember what grade it is. I'd have to look into that. It might have been like third or fourth grade, but there's a school out in San Francisco where they approved of it where they're letting all these elementary kids stand, utilize stand-up desks. And I, I, I believe their test scores were actually going up and they were all performing way better. Hey, what do you... Check it out, of course, right? I mean, what what third grader can just sit there for like eight, you know, six, seven hours, and those chairs are just like all metal and hard on your ass and super uncomfortable? And have you ever sat in one of those old school metal chairs where like the desk is connected to it? Like they don't have you just sit in like a a, a free chair where you can freely move around in it, and you just put it up, you know, next to a table, like one of those old school actual like on the 90s tv shows where the kids are sitting in the chair and the metal desk is connected to it like in boy meets world or something those are uncomfortable man i remember i actually had a class one time that had that you know so random and wow my ass is in so much pain sitting in those things so i feel bad for for kids have to sit in those and no wonder why they can't focus and they start squirming around and get the wiggles. Um, the fact that they're they got approved to do stand up desks is pretty dope. So maybe we could try to push that more. Um, you know, I'm from Washington State, so you can get pretty hippie out here <laughs> in, in Washington, especially the Seattle area. I could see that uh, whole movement uh, migrating over into Seattle from San Francisco. That'd be good though, man. It'd be good for the kids to be able to stand up. They'd probably learn better, focus better. So. You know, what's crazy is, um, you know, chronic diseases were responsible for five of the six leading causes of death in the United States in 2006. Um, Obviously, the numbers have probably risen dramatically since, Um, you know, and and, uh, 70% of the deaths in in the United States are all from chronic diseases. Um, you know, which can include heart disease, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of times that's just people in very poor shape and sitting, you know, can lead to those things. You know, that sedentary lifestyle, that sedentary living, of sitting for long extended periods of time can lead to these chronic diseases, obviously. Um, 
on the plus side, a lot of these chronic diseases are very preventable and manageable, um, you know, through early detection, treatment, and improvements of healthier living. And so for all you folks out there that work at a job where you believe they will let you stand or have a standing desk, maybe throw that out there. Maybe ask them about it and, and see if they're cool with it. I'm sure they would be. And if they're not, like they're not open-minded to letting you have a stand-up desk and you're just sitting there just doing phone calls all day, um, maybe reconsider a new job, you know? I mean, they can't even look after your well-being. That seems really odd. So, yeah, look into that. Because, you know, nearly 80% of all deaths are from cardiovascular disease and, and cancer, which can be preventable or preventable, um, you know, by choosing a healthier lifestyle. So we can do what we can, you know. I want to try to educate you guys as much as I can. Um, and that's what's going to be great about this podcast is being able to talk about science-based exercise and just things in the world of research and fitness and seeing what we can do to help you. Um, just to talk, you know, just to touch on some of the dangers of sitting. Um, these are some crazy numbers, but when I really started diving deep into it, I was finding some crazy stuff. Like for example, men who sit more than six hours per day are actually 18% more likely to die from chronic disease versus men who only sit three hours per day. And what's crazy is women who sit more than six hours per day are actually 37% more likely to die versus women who only sit three hours per day. So, I mean, as you guys can see, the dangers of a sedentary uh, living are, are super real and shouldn't be ignored. I mean, those are some dramatic uh, differences there. Um, and, you know, physical act inactivity obviously can lead to muscular dysfunction, uh, muscular aches and pains, and, and they're more common now than they ever have been, obviously with computers and um, cars and just the way the, the world is now, people are sitting and not moving as much as they used to. One thing I like to do sometimes, actually, is I will handle a lot of emails and even a lot of business calls on the treadmill or even on the elliptical um, and sometimes just walking around the lake. Um, so maybe try that out, guys. You know, you can even get your iPad or, you know, a, a note or whatever you use. I use an Apple iPad. I could put that right there in front of me on the treadmill and go over notes um, or some keynotes or whatever. So there's some uh, recommendations I would try and try taking calls on the elliptical. I mean, guys, we're in a different time now. I mean, the days where you just sit there and look at the wall when you're on the phone, like, what are you doing? Move around. Take your calls walking around the lake. You know, make life as, as relaxing and, and, and healthy and good for you as possible, even when you're in serious situations. Maybe you're making a really big deal or closing a big deal or, or whatever you're doing doesn't mean you can't, you know, or even if you just got to crank out a bunch of phone calls, you know, you just it's one of those days, it's a Monday, and you got a list of 20 calls to do follow-ups. Do it on the treadmill. There's nothing wrong with that. They can't even notice. And if they do, who cares? You know, feel sorry for them that they can't do that or they're not. And they might fall in that category of 80% of individuals living that unhealthier life. So consider how much you sit, 
maybe think about it a little bit more. Try to move around more. You'll feel a lot better. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much again for tuning in to episode number two. We'll be back tomorrow for episode number three. Thank you. Mwah.